It is a new week, and it's time for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along. We can almost put Week 14 of the NFL season in the books. We got Monday night tonight, and we go out to the NFC East for Monday night football. Giants, Eagles, eh, maybe it'll be a fun one. Eli Manning is back. Is that a good thing? I don't know. We'll see. I tell you what, though, we got a lot of football to get to today over the course of the next hour or so. We've got yesterday's action, the NFL to break down. We've got the college football playoff field, plus the bowl matchups that we want to talk about. And I'm going to give you an updated list of my coaches on the hottest seats, my NFL hottest seat-o-meter. Someone else come up with a better name for that. Have you guys noticed I'm bad at coming up with names for things? Like, that's not one of my strengths coming on here. I tell you what, though. I am going to give you that list. I'm going to give you my updated top five as far as NFL coaches who are on the hot seat. Plus a few honorable mentions to throw in there. All that and more is coming up over the course of the next hour. It's going to be off the heezy Boshizi. But let's start with the NFL yesterday where Atlanta took down Carolina 40-20. to Matt Ryan becomes just the 10th quarterback in NFL history to hit the 50,000 career yards mark. He threw his longest NFL touchdown yesterday. The Falcons cruised past the Panthers in Perry Fuel's debut as the interim head coach in Carolina. How about the Ravens and the Bills? 24-17, Baltimore comes away with the win. Lamar Jackson was somewhat limited as a rusher. Credit that Bills defense. He got it done through the air, though. 16-25, 145 yards, 3 TDs, passer rating of 103. Josh Allen, at some point, he just needed to step up and make a big play. He had a few good-looking throws, but it was a defense that kept Buffalo in that game. Allen yesterday, 17-39, 146 yards, 1 TD. His passer rating, 63, as the Ravens clinch a playoff spot with that 24-17 win. Well, if you're thinking, I'm going to start Baker Mayfield in fantasy because they were playing the Cincinnati Bengals, you'd be right to think that. Coming into yesterday's game, Mayfield had thrown for seven touchdowns in his last two games against the Bengals. Yesterday, Baker was 11-24, 192 yards, no TDs, two interceptions, and a passer rating of 39. He got outdueled by Andy Dalton, who was 22 of 38, 262 yards and one interception. 68 was his passer rating. Again, that's not great. Still better than Baker on the day, but it is Baker and the Browns who come out with a win. 27-19, Cleveland mathematically stays alive. Mathematically, they stay in the mix. How about the Packers hanging on for a 20-15 win over Washington? Aaron Jones with another big day. 16 touches, 134 yards. That's 8.4 yards per carry, if you're wondering. And he had a touchdown to add to his NFL lead. The Packers hold on late despite eh, maybe a little bit of a scare. It's just a terrible onside kick by Washington toward the end of the game. Where it never really had a chance. Green Bay gets the win, and they hit the 10-win mark with that 20-15 victory. The Broncos might have something in Drew Locke. 38-24, they thumped the Texans, who, keep in mind, just outdueled the Patriots last week, dominated the Pats for 55 of 60 minutes last week, and then Drew Locke explodes for three touchdowns. He was 22 of 27 for the day, 309 yards, passer rating of 136. Phillip Lindsay, 16 touches for 51 yards and a touchdown. They had the ground game going as well. Noah Fant, four catches for 113 yards. Seems like they're starting to get him a little more involved. Tell you what, the Broncos might have something in Drew Locke. They get the win, 38 to 24. The Vikings defense was shining yesterday. Five sacks, five times they sacked David Blau. Three times 
times it was Daniil Hunter as Minnesota gets the win 20-7 over Detroit. Elsewhere, maybe the game of the year, the 49ers as time expires. Robbie Gould. The gold standard, 48-46, the victory over New Orleans. This comes right after Drew Brees leads the Saints down the field, and they score to take a one-point lead with under a minute to play. Jimmy Garoppolo has that defining drive, that defining moment. People were saying the Niners were winning in spite of him. I was one of those people yesterday. Give him credit where credit's due. And give George Kittle a ton of credit, man. That's the best tight end in football. George Kittle with a man-sized run at the end of the game to set up the game-winning field goal for Robbie Gould. Garoppolo for the day, 26 of 35, 349 yards and four TDs. Drew Brees, 29 of 40, 349 yards and five TDs. Unfortunately for him, that comes in a losing effort. San Fran suddenly back in the driver's seat as the number one seed in the NFC. The Jets with a walk-off field goal of their own. Sam Thicken scores from 44 yards out to give the Jets a 22-21 win over Miami. Sam Darnold 20-36, 270 yards, two touchdowns and an INT. Ryan Fitzpatrick 21-37, 245 yards and an interception. Elsewhere, the Buccaneers, Jameis Winston was out briefly with an injury, came back, finishes the game with 456 yards and four touchdowns as Tampa Bay rallies to get past Indian Annapolis 38-35. At one point, man, Frank Reich looked like he was destined for at least being a finalist for Coach of the Year. Now Indy dips below 500 at 6-7. The Chargers, man, they played angry yesterday. They bounced back in a big way. 45-10, they get the win over Jacksonville. Phillip Rivers, people were wondering, was he washed? Well, he certainly wasn't yesterday. 16-22, 314 yards, three touchdowns, an incredible passer rating, nearly perfect, 154. Garner Minshew on the other side, he was pretty good himself. 24-37, 162 yards and one TD. Elsewhere, it was Pittsburgh hanging on late to beat Arizona 23-17. Kyler Murray with a chance for a defining drive of his own, but that vaunted Pittsburgh defense was able to stifle him and move to 8-5. They do this without James Conner, without Juju Smith-Schuster. Instead, they have Devlin Hodges with his top rusher being some guy named Kareth White. And Dante Johnson was the top receiver for Pittsburgh yesterday, not even Washington. That's what Mike Tomlin has done for this team. That's why Mike Tomlin probably deserves Coach of the Year. It's either going to be him or Harbaugh, one of those two that's going to get Coach of the Year. How about Kansas City going into Foxborough? They hand New England their first loss at home in their last 21 games. 23-16, Kansas City led 20-7 at halftime. Then the Patriots came roaring back. They survived a few mistakes, and they got a little bit of help from the Zebras. Let's, let's not deny anything here. Let's call a spade a spade. The officiating was horrible during yesterday's Kansas City-New England game. How many of us that are not Patriots fans feel sorry for the Patriots for doing that? I get it. The officiating was bad. And if you've listened to Boston Sports Radio today, if you've listened to Bill Simmons and company, oh boy, they're fun. <laughs> they are fun. Because their whole dynasty, you can make the argument, started because of poor officiating. You go back to 2002 and the tuck rule. You can say their whole dynasty is built on poor officiating. I get it. Yesterday was bad. The Patriots probably should have won that game. But I don't feel sorry for them. And what goes around comes around. It evens things out. Patriots will see the Chiefs in the playoffs anyway. They'll probably beat them there. Kansas City, by the way, clinches their fourth straight 
AFC West Championship yesterday. Pat Mahomes, 26 of 40, 283 yards, one TD, one interception. Tom Brady, 19 of 36, 169 yards, one TD, and one interception. I get it. The Patriots had at least two touchdowns, or what should have been touchdowns, with the scoop and score that Stephon Gilmore never got the chance to take to the end zone. And in Kill Harry, that should have been a touchdown. Instead, they said that he stepped out of bounds and the Patriots couldn't challenge. They were out of challenges. I get it. The refs hosed Kansas, excuse me, the refs hosed New England in that sense. Who feels sorry for him? Eh, they got a few of those breaks to go their way over the course of this dynasty. Tom Brady, man, everyone keeps saying you got to put up some weapons around him. Well, that's supposedly the greatest of all time out there. And I tell you what, he looks the same as he always has. I don't think he's washed. I don't think he sucks. To me, he still looks the same as he did back in his 30s. He just has far less effective weapons around him. Elsewhere yesterday, Tennessee winners over Oakland 42-21. Josh Jacobs was out. We knew that would hurt Oakland. But how about on defense? Ryan Tannehill lit them up 21-27, 391 yards and three TDs. Man, he's making a resurgence of his career in Tennessee. And If they don't shell out big money for him, he may be the top prize during free agency this offseason. Derrick Henry, by the way, 18 touches, 103 yards, and two TDs. He was just as effective on the ground. And then Sunday night football, the L.A. Rams 28-12 winners over Seattle. That's about as bad as I've seen the Seahawks look all year. And the Rams do what they needed to. Last night, there were a few drives where that was vintage Sean McVay. Sean McVay just out-schemed Wade Phillips. On the offensive end, he out-schemed Brian Schottenheimer. Jared Goff, 22-31, 293 yards, two TDs. He was picked twice. Russell Wilson, 22-36, 245 yards, no TDs. He was picked. He just hasn't looked the same as last month. He was the MVP frontrunner a month ago. What happened to that, Russell Wilson? That was a look around the NFL scoreboard from yesterday. By the way, we've got Monday Night Football, as mentioned, coming up this evening. 8-15 kick on ESPN-TV. The Giants taking on Philadelphia from Lincoln Financial Field. Storylines going into that game, of course, Daniel Jones's injury might be a little more significant than we once thought. This might not be a one-and-done for Eli Manning. Daniel Jones, per new report, could miss in the next two to four weeks with a high ankle sprain. So Eli Manning is going to get his farewell tour and may well finish out the season for a New York team that's not going to the postseason. You've got four games left. Why risk your rookie quarterback and put him out there to risk getting injured even further? To me, this is Eli Manning's farewell tour. You give him these last four games, you let him do his thing. And the Giants have some games that they could potentially win coming up. Philadelphia, they play them twice. Philly has gone through their own struggles this year. I mean, Philly's secondary has been absolutely torched by almost everybody this year. The Giants have the Dolphins next Sunday. The Dolphins certainly are a beatable team. They already beat the Redskins. They play them on December 22nd. So there's a chance for the Giants to finish strong. There's a chance for Eli Manning to finish strong. Now, saying that Eli is playing for his right to get into the Hall of Fame is just stupid. Anyone who says that is somebody you need to tune out. Anybody who thinks that needs an appointment. Eli is not playing for his right into the Hall of Fame. I get it. Everybody wants to say 116 and 116. He's a 500 quarterback. Wins, losses are not a quarterback stat. Don't listen to anybody who tells you that either. Wins and losses are not a quarterback stat. There are 21 other guys on the field. I get it, quarterback is the most important, but like we saw yesterday, yesterday's another reminder, Drew Brees did 
everything right. Did everything right. Five touchdowns, no interceptions, a potential game-winning drive in the last minute. Why should that loss get hung on him, but not the defense who could not make a simple tackle on George Kittle? Why couldn't they stop Jimmy Garoppolo in the final 32 seconds? Why is that loss hung only on Drew Brees? That's a reminder. Wins and losses are not a quarterback stat. Eli Manning is not 116 and 116 as a starter. The teams that Eli Manning plays on have gone 116 and 116 in games that he started. That's the truth. That is straight talk. I tell you what, that's coming up tonight. That's going to be something to keep an eye on, especially with no basketball here in ESPN-UP. In case you missed that, no Westwood Patriot boys or girls basketball tonight. Both games postponed due to the blizzard. No makeup date at this time. Let's take a time out. When we come back, let's talk coaches on the hot seat. I'll give you my updated list whose seat is getting warm. That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Hey, during the break, I was just made aware that it is okay to publicly announce something special coming up for The Sports Pen and ESPN-UP. I'm not going to do it now, though. I'm going to tease you a little bit. I'm going to wait. Got a special announcement coming up here over the course of the next hour, so you're not going to want to miss it. That, plus, we're going to break down the college football playoff and the bowl games. All that and more coming up over the course of the next hour. But right now, let's talk coaches on the hot seat. I'm going to update my list of the top five hottest NFL coaching seats as it pertains to week 14, as we get set to move into week 15. Black Monday is only three weeks away. Can you believe that? I gave you my preseason list, my preseason top five coaches on the hottest seat in the NFL. And two of those have already been fired before Black Monday's even gotten here. Number two was Jay Gruden. He was axed by the Washington Redskins a few weeks ago. And number four was Ron Rivera. And he was let go by the Panthers last week. So let me update my top five coaches on the hottest seat in the NFL. Before I give you my top five, let me give you some honorable mentions. Guys who maybe didn't make the cut for the top five, but their seats are getting a little more warm. Included in that honorable mention category is Matt Patricia. I know a lot of Lions fans are displeased with him. I don't know if he's going to come back next year. It wouldn't surprise me either way, but his seat definitely is a little bit warm. With Martha Firestone Ford, though, she doesn't give me the impression that she's in any rush to make changes anytime soon. The argument for Patricia is going to be that he hasn't gotten to work with a healthy staffer this year. That they got off to a great start. They were derailed during Monday Night Football against Green Bay, a game they should have won had it not been for some poor officiating. That's going to be the argument for keeping Matt Patricia, even though he's a defensive-minded head coach and the defense has kind of regressed in a few ways. It, you know, and getting rid of Quandre Diggs was a big part of that. The Lions were sellers even before the midway point of the season. They were selling out on this season, and they didn't have a full year of Matt Stafford. That's going to be the argument in favor of Matt Patricia. That's why I wouldn't be shocked if he is gone after this season, but I'm not going to place bets on it either. All I know is his seat is not cool. It's not hot, but it's starting to get warm. Others in the honorable mention category, I think Anthony Lynn has got to be in there. 
after what they did last year, what the Chargers were able to accomplish a season ago, 12 wins, get to the postseason, this year has been remarkably disappointing. Now, granted, they bounced back with a huge win yesterday. And is this all on Anthony Lynn? No, I wouldn't say it is. Phillip Rivers is starting to let his age show. He's regressing a little bit, as you will when you turn 38 years old in the NFL. Is that Anthony Lynn's fault? I wouldn't say so. And the fact that their eight losses this year have come by a combined 39 points, all their losses have been one-score games, are just snake-bitten. All the breaks that were going their way last year aren't going their way this year. Is that Anthony Lynn's fault? I don't think so. But we all know that general managers and front office personnel always love pinning the blame on somebody else. And if they can do so on a head coach and continue to make people think that they are a good front office person, they're a good insider, they're going to do it. And I don't know that that means they're going to pin it on Anthony Lynn, that he won't have a job here in a few weeks. But I do think that there's a little bit of uncertainty going forward about the Chargers' head coaching position. Who else is on an honorable mention? Their seat is getting warm but not hot. I think there's a case to be made for Adam Gase and the New York Jets. I think there's a case to be made on the other side in the sense that he has only gotten five games with a healthy franchise quarterback, a healthy Sam Darnold, a guy that they want to be their franchise quarterback. Now, do I think that there's a higher ceiling for Adam Gase? I really don't. I didn't like that hire from the beginning. I didn't think that he did anything in Miami to warrant getting a new job right away somewhere else. That being said, the argument in favor of Adam Gase is going to be that they play in that kind of division. They don't have the pieces to contend anyway. You know, over the last, I think, uh, what was it, seven drafts? Seven drafts, and you have seven rounds in each draft. The Jets only have seven players that they actually drafted since 2012. That's going to be the argument for Adam Gase, that they haven't had the pieces to be competitive and that he's only had five games with a healthy franchise quarterback. They still believe in Sam Darnold. I don't know that they're going to make the coaching change yet, but I don't know that it's far off. Adam Gase is not the answer. I don't believe he is long-term. But the Jets, to me, they liked him for a reason. And if you only have five games with your healthy franchise quarterback, then they probably still like him enough that they're willing to give him another year. That's why I don't believe Adam Gase is in the top five as far as coaches on the hot seat. And then the last one I'll tentatively throw up there is Mike Zimmer from the Vikings. Yeah, Minnesota right now is going to be a playoff team. I still think they have a shot at winning that division, and they do. They do have a shot at winning that division. They're down one game, and they still host the Packers here in a couple of weeks. That being said, there's still a chance that the Rams or the Bears could finish strong. They're both playing good football right now. And a massive collapse for Minnesota means they could be left out. That would cost Mike Zimmer his job. He's still on that one-year contract. He's got one year left in his deal. The Vikings didn't extend him. And so far, they haven't extended him, despite a 9-4 and four start. That being said, you got to leave the door a little bit open as far as the possibility of Mike Zimmer not being back next year. I think he will be. I think Minnesota makes the playoffs, and they will extend him. But right now, while he doesn't have that extension secured yet, there is still a possibility the Vikings could make a change at head coach this offseason. That's why I put Mike Zimmer in the honorable mention category. Let's get to the top five, though. Let me update my top five in terms of NFL coaches on the hottest seat. And at number five, I'm going with Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens has woefully underwhelmed this season. 
He has had everything he's needed to win. Most coaches could win with that group, or at least they could do better than whatever their record is right now. What is it, 5-8? and eight? Are the Browns 5-8, and 6-7, and seven, something like that? It's under 500. They're not going to make the playoffs. I get they're mathematically alive. They're not going to make it. And you have Odell Beckham Jr. already calling for other teams to come get him. He already wants out of Cleveland. You have made him miss Eli Manning and the Giants. You know how bad he wanted to get out of there. And now Odell would probably love to go back there. Now I get it. Cleveland lost on both the Odell Beckham Jr. trades. They sent Kevin Zeitler to New York. He has been very effective. He's been their best lineman. Odell Beckham Jr. has been the number two receiver to Jarvis Landry in Cleveland. They lost on the Olivia Vernon trade because he's been yeah, he's been effective, I guess, for Cleveland. I don't think he was as good as he was with New York. And they sent Jabril Peppers to New York, who has been very good for New York so far this season. They lost on both those trades with the Giants. I get it, but Freddie Kitchens, even when it comes to the most simple decision, has failed to make the correct choice. You take a penalty on 4th and 11 because you want to save a timeout. You put your second-year quarterback who's struggling, he's in a sophomore slump, you put him in a 4th and 16 position? Or even you go to Pittsburgh and wear a shirt that says Pittsburgh started it after one of your players tries to crack another man over the head with his own helmet? You imply that you're endorsing what happened or saying that it was warranted because the other guy started it, which he did? But you're the head coach. You can't set that example. Brady Kitchens just looks overwhelmed. He got the job because of the progress he was able to make with Baker Mayfield last year as the interim offensive coordinator. And Baker has regressed this year. He hasn't moved forward. He's regressed. And I get a lot of that can be attributed to the offensive line. They've taken a step backwards since last year. But Freddie is not elevating Baker as a head coach. I don't know if John Dorsey is ready to admit that he made a mistake, and I don't know that he's ready to hire a third head coach in three years. Four coaches in three years, if you want to count Greg Williams as the interim head coach. I don't know if John Dorsey's ready to admit it, but certainly you get the feeling that Freddie Kitchens is not the right guy for the job in Cleveland, that he is not the long-term answer. Will Kane said it best, talking about how one coach in the AFC North had everything given to him, One coach had everything taken away from him. He's talking about Freddie Kitchens and Mike Tomlin. One coach is winning. One is not. One's going to make the playoffs. One is not. Freddie Kitchens has an all-pro caliber roster, especially on offense, and he's not winning. That's why Freddie Kitchens makes number five on my list of coaches on the hottest seat in the NFL. Number four, we're going with Dan Quinn of the Atlanta Falcons. Dan Quinn was on my preseason list at number five. I have him at number four because Arthur Blank still won't go out on a limb and say that we need more out of our head coaches. Maybe that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing that an owner is going to undermine his head coach while he's still coaching, while he's leading a locker room. But the way that Blank has supported Quinn... Even as early as this season, weeks three and four, he was supportive of Quinn, saying this is our head coach. When it was clear that Atlanta was not bound for greatness this season, like many were anticipating. Now he's just kind of gone mum on Dan Quinn. This is a Falcon team that has steadily regressed since making Super Bowl 51 three years ago. 
especially on defense, where that's supposed to be his specialty. He cleaned house as far as his coaching staff. He assumed defensive coordinator duties. There were reports that came out that he was fired last year. Those turned out not to be true. I believe he will be fired this year. Despite yesterday's blowout win over Carolina, it's too little too late. They're 4-9. and nine. They're eliminated from playoff contention. The Falcons are going to make a change at head coach this offseason. And I don't think Dan Quinn is a bad head coach. I think he'll have a job somewhere else in the NFL next year if he wants it. I think he's an, maybe an all-time caliber coordinator. But I do think he can be a head coach in this league. I think his voice has just gotten numb. He's just been there too long in Atlanta. It's time for a change. Dan Quinn right now is number four on my list of coaches on the hot seat. At number three, we're going to New York. I have Pat Shermer, number three, as far as coaches on the hot seat. I didn't think Pat Shermer would be fired coming into this season. I thought as long as the Giants made progress, as long as they exceeded their 5-11 and record last year, that the front office would take that as progress. Dave Gettleman, uh, he made that cringeworthy statement a few years ago how he started and the team won two games. They were 2-14. and 14. Then he brought them to 5-11. and 11. That was just cringeworthy. But to me, that said, it would be enough for Gettleman to keep Pat Shermer if they were able to build on a 5-11 and 11 mark, even if that just meant 6-10. and 10. I thought the Giants would get to six wins this year. They're going to have to win out. They're going to have to win out to get to six wins. They're 2-10 and 10 right now. They have to win all four of their remaining games if they want to get to six wins. I don't think they're going to. And I don't believe Pat Shermer is going to come back as head coach next year. I think Gettleman might have one more year. I do think Shermer's out, especially with names like Ron Rivera out there, a guy that Gettleman's gone to the Super Bowl with four years ago. That's why I believe that Shermer is number three on my list as far as coaches on the hot seat in the NFL. Number two, I'm going with Doug Marone from Jacksonville. Did you see how empty that stadium was yesterday? Now, I get it. The whole Nick Foles thing did not work out. Just did not work out. But Marone has shown inconsistency when it comes to calling plays. He struggled as a play caller this year. And the empty stadium shows that Jaguar fans are just sick of it. They were teased a couple of years ago. One game away, one quarter away from going to the Super Bowl. And an empty stadium or a more-than-half-empty stadium can oftentimes send more of a message to ownership than what happens on the field, what transpires down there. Marone is another guy that just looks overwhelmed. I don't know that he's a bad coach, but he's not hit the right buttons this year for Jacksonville. They're a team that looks like they might have regressed. I get it. The whole Nick Foles thing didn't work out. Maybe that's a reason to keep him around. But his seat was hot coming into this year. I had him at number three on my preseason list. I have him up at number two now with Jay Gruden already out. I think Doug Marone right now is at number two as far as my list for NFL coaches on the hot seat. And number one should be no surprise. That's Jason Garrett. Man, he has woefully underperformed in every sense. You can look at that Dallas roster and position group by position group Tell me where they're weak. Is their weakest group the kicking position? Is it Brett Maher? No, I get it. Kickers can win and lose games more often than people think. But if Brett Maher is your weakest link, you should be better than 6-7, and seven, especially with how bad your division is. Six games a year are against the Giants, Eagles, and Redskins. You should not be 6-7 and seven with that talented of a group. 
And people are saying, oh, Jason Garrett can win in the regular season, just not a good postseason coach. He should have a job next year. He'll have a job somewhere. I don't want Jason Garrett anywhere near my team. Because not only is he not winning with all the talent he could ask for, but that team is undisciplined. He can't control a locker room. He is showing a lack of discipline, or at least his teams are showing a lack of discipline on the field. Think about if you're at your job, you have a boss that gives you the best facilities. He gives you all the talent that you could ask for to work underneath you. He gives you all the best employees that you're the manager over. And he tells you, I will pay anything to make us successful. All you got to do is manage us. You just got to lead us. Money is no object. That's what Jerry Jones has done for Jason Garrett. They play in one of the best facilities in the world. That is a world-class facility regardless of sport. They have all the talent that you could ask for. They may be the most complete NFL roster this year. And Jerry Jones will sign any check to make the Cowboys successful. You've got all that, and you still can't even be 500? I don't want Jason Garrett anywhere near my team next year. You talk about coaches who could do more with less, guys like Chris Peterson at Washington. Jason Garrett can't do average with all the talent. He can't even be average with the most talented roster that he's ever had as Cowboys head coach. That's why Jason Garrett will be fired about three weeks from now when Black Monday hits. Speaking of which... I do think Chris Peterson from Washington, I don't know if he's interested in the Cowboys' job, but the Cowboys should give him a serious look. You talk about a coach who's done more with less, albeit at the college level, I get it. It's tough to make the jump from college to the pros. But you think about Chris Peterson and what he's been able to do. You reunite him with Kellen Moore, who he coached at Boise State. Kellen Moore was his quarterback, and they did great things there. That is, if Kellen Moore stays, if the assistants are retained i think chris peterson should absolutely get a good look as the cowboys head coach let's take a time out let's transition to college level talk a little postseason a little bowl action that's next on espn up and the espn up app check out the up's live and local sports talk show the sports pen weekday afternoons at four on espn up and on the espn up app welcome back tanner hoops with you on espn up glad to have you along here's your sports center update Remember during the last Olympics when Russia couldn't actually be Russia and the athletes had to be represented as OAR, Olympic athletes from Russia? Well, get used to it because it's happening again. Russia was slapped with another four-year ban from Olympic competition following doping violations. Russian athletes can compete as independents, so we're going to have to get used to that OAR, Olympic athletes from Russia jazz. Louisville holds as the top-ranked team in this week's men's basketball AP poll, followed by Kansas, Ohio State, Maryland, and Michigan rounds out the top five. Michigan State comes in at number 16. And finally, Chipotle has hired professional nurses to check on employees who call in sick to make sure that they're not just hungover. CEO Brian Nichols says that the move is not to embarrass or expose employees, but rather in response to a neurovirus outbreak at a Virginia Chipotle restaurant last month when a sick employee was allowed to prepare food. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along. Tanner Hoops with you on this 
Monday afternoon, starting a new week, and we get into some college football. Before we talk about the bowl matchups and we get to our surprise announcement coming up, a few head coaching vacancies have been filled. When we broke the huddle for the weekend on Friday, there were 12 FBS vacancies. There are now seven. Five of them have been filled over the weekend. It was announced Friday night that Lane Kiffin was nearing a deal with Ole Miss. They completed that deal shortly after his Florida Atlantic Owls just dust UAB in the Conference USA Championship, and he was introduced today. Other vacancies that have been filled. Arkansas has found Chad Morris's replacement. They pick up Georgia offensive line coach Sam Pittman. Elsewhere, Eli Drinkwitz is leaving App State after one year. App State went 12-1. and They won the Sun Belt. They're ranked number 20. He is heading to Mizzou. He will replace Barry Odom as the head football coach at Missouri. South Florida, a week after dismissing Charlie Strong, has found his successor. They pick up Jeff Scott, co-offensive coordinator at Clemson, and Mike Norvell will be the man in Tallahassee. He is leaving Memphis. He will be the new head football coach at Florida State. So jobs are continuing to fill up at the FBS level. Still seven more openings, but with that, let's jump into the bowl matchups, and what we learned this weekend. You think about what happened with Alabama throughout the course of this year, and you know the committee loves Alabama. And you think if Tua didn't get hurt, if they took Tua out one series before he got hurt, and he would have played against Auburn, they probably would have won that game, and Alabama would have gotten in as the four seed this weekend instead of Oklahoma. Some people say if Wisconsin held on to beat Ohio State, they would have gotten in as the force, or at least they would have been under serious consideration for the four seed rather than Oklahoma. Baylor, had they beaten Oklahoma, especially with their third-string quarterback at the end, Jacob Zeno, that they would have gotten in, which they probably would have. And Utah, oh, Utah got beat. Utah didn't deserve to get into the college football playoff. People are shocked that Utah got dusted on Friday night. Utah is not getting into the college football playoff. So Oklahoma does get in after they win the Big 12 championship in overtime. They will take on LSU, who had no trouble with Georgia in the SEC championship. I mean, that game wasn't even fair. 37-10, LSU takes the title. Meanwhile, Ohio State is able to come back and beat Wisconsin for the Big 10 championship. And Clemson, no problems with Virginia. Maybe after the opening drive, Virginia did tie things up 7-7 at one point. Clemson, very few problems with Virginia as they roll 62-14 to in the ACC championship. So I do believe they got the top four as they should have. I do believe they got the top four right with LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma in that order. So as far as the college football playoff goes, I'm going to give you my picks here in the next segment, which we're going to take our next break a little bit early because there's a lot to get to there. But you look at some of the local teams and where they are. Michigan will be playing another top-tier program, a blue blood, in Alabama in the Citrus Bowl. Michigan State will be heading out to the Bronx. They'll take on Wake Forest in the Pinstripe Bowl. And Wisconsin, they're going to the Rose Bowl, where they will take on Oregon. Wisconsin, after losing to Illinois, people were calling for Paul Chris' head. They flipped the script from where they were last year. Last year, you remember, they were like 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, I think. Was that the record? And they were playing Miami on New Year's Eve. Well, this year they're in the Rose Bowl. They got beat by Illinois and still managed to get to the Big Ten Championship and get to the Rose Bowl. It kind of brings things full circle for the Badgers. And really, you got to feel proud if you're a Badger fan. 10-3, and three, Rose Bowl berth, you'll take that. 
I mean, obviously you want to continue to elevate the program and get it to a place where you're contending for national championships, but I still believe Paul Christ is the guy who can do that for them. I really do. And if you ask anybody, peers, people in the media, they'll tell you that there's really very few others who are doing it at a higher level than Paul Christ. Don't take my word for it because tomorrow we're going to get the straight talk from one of the best in the college football media world. Tomorrow, Mike Golick Jr., co-host of Golick and Wingo, as heard here at ESPN-UP from 6 to 10 every weekday, will join the sports pen. Mike Golick Jr. is going to be my guest on the ESPN-UP phone line. We're going to talk postseason football. We are going to break down the matchups and maybe speculate a little bit as far as the head coaching scene, what head coaches could still be on the move, what to watch for in the college football playoff, breakdowns on Michigan, Sparty, Wisconsin, all the above. Mike Golick Jr. will be our guest on the Sports Pen tomorrow. That's our big announcement. Let's take our next break a little bit early so we can get to Over Under, as it's so inappropriately named to end the show. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along. Well, we play over-under with the top 25 betting lines for the college football games coming up the following week. Unfortunately, since uh, the only one that we have this week would be Army-Navy, let's expand it a little bit. We're going to play over-under, and I, that, I know that's not the right name for it, but we're going to do it with every bowl matchup. I've got the betting lines, the early lines for every college football bowl game coming up this winter i'm going to give you my thoughts whether you should take the over under upset go with the points what have you hey by the way if you're looking to make some cash darren rovell on twitter he's known for being kind of a business insider when it comes to sports right now if you fade him on eli manning's performance tonight then you can be a pretty rich person i tell you what he has Eli Manning failing to reach 250 passing yards tonight on Monday Night Football against the Eagles, whose secondary is terrible, and Eli averaged 268 yards per game last year. I think I'm going to fade Rovell, and that way I think I'm going to make some money. That being said, do what you want to. Don't take gambling advice from this show. Let me give you the odds for every bowl game. We'll run through these here to end the show. Beginning with the Makers Wanted Bahamas Bowl on December 20th. Yeah, we got to eat our vegetables and go through these. We've got Buffalo taking on Charlotte. That game in Nassau, played in the Bahamas, which is kind of cool. Buffalo opens as five-point favorites. All these lines courtesy of Vegas Insider, by the way. I like what the 49ers have done this year. I give them a lot of credit, a lot of respect for how they've been able to turn the corner and become relevant in football. That being said... I do like Buffalo. I do like Buffalo just a little bit more. I do think Charlotte's a dangerous enough team that a few things go differently. Maybe they could pull off the upset. So that's why I'll take the under on the points, but I still have Buffalo winning. I just don't think they're going to win it by five. The Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. My gosh. Kent State against Utah State on Friday the 20th. That game at Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. Utah State opens as four-point favorites over Kent State. 
Why not? Let's just go with the upset. I, I don't know enough about these two teams. Let's go with the upset. I like a little razzle-dazzle. We'll go with the fighting Julian Edelmans to get the win in the Frisco Bowl. The New Mexico Bowl has Central Michigan taking on San Diego State. that Saturday, December 21st. The Aztecs are favored by five points. You know what? Fire up chips. I was kind of skeptical against them on Saturday. Let's go fire up chips. Let's have them take the upset in the New Mexico Bowl. How about the Cure Bowl? You've got Georgia Southern taking on Liberty on December 21st. Georgia Southern favored by six points. Hugh Freeze has Liberty in their first ever bowl game in his first season as a head coach. His first game as Liberty's head coach, he coached from a hospital bed in one of the suites at the stadium. That being said, Georgia Southern has established themselves as one of the better group of five teams, one of those mid-majors that can pull an upset every once in a while. They played Minnesota really well. They did beat Appalachian State, who was one of the best group of five teams this year. i got to go with Georgia Southern in this one. I'll probably... If the line was about four points, that's where I would say that's good. I'll give Hugh Freeze and Liberty something. I will... I'll take the under on the six-point spread for the Cure Bowl. How about the Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl? Florida Atlantic against SMU on the 21st. SMU favored by four. I'll take the points. Lane Kiffin leaving Florida Atlantic, albeit he's doing it the right way, going up against an SMU team that has had a really good season. They've got back in the top 25. I think i got to go with SMU to get the win here. The Camila Bowl. Arkansas State and Florida International. Arkansas State favored by three. Sure. (laughs) Why not? Let's do it. Uh, The Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl. That game on the 21st. It has Washington taking on number 19, Boise State. This could be a better game than people realize. Washington is favored by four points. This will probably be Boise's toughest game of the season. And it's Chris Peterson's last with Washington. We all know that Jimmy Lake is coming in. He's going to take over the program. They still have Jacob Eason, who I believe is maybe the safe pick as far as quarterbacks in this year's draft class who could pan out in the NFL. I'll take Washington with a four-point spread. How about the R plus L Carriers New Orleans Bowl? You've got Appalachian State taking on UAB. App State favored by 18. I do think they're going to win handily, but I don't know it's going to be by 18. You just saw UAB get thrashed by the Fighting Lane Kiffins in their conference championship. Appalachian State is that good. I'm going to go with the Mountaineers, but I don't think they cover the 18-point spread. 18 just seems like a lot to me. I do think they'll win by at least two scores. 18, though, I don't know about that. How about the Bad Boy Motors Gasparilla Bowl? You've got Marshall going up against UCF. UCF is favored by 18 points. Again, I think they'll win handily UCF, but 18, that's that's tough. I don't usually like to put the spread that far, so I won't. I'll say UCF probably by 14, 15, something like that. The SoFi Hawaii Bowl on Christmas Eve, you've got BYU taking on Hawaii at Aloha Stadium. BYU favored by three. I'll take the points in this one. I think BYU is going to win and exceed the field goal margin of victory that Vegas is giving them. The Walk-Ons Independence Bowl has Miami going up against Louisiana Tech. The Hurricanes are favored by eight. I think Miami will win. I think they will. The Florida International loss a couple of weeks ago makes me not want to take the point, so I don't think I will. I'll say Miami beats Louisiana Tech, though, by five, we'll say. 
The Quick Lanes Bowl, Pittsburgh taking on Eastern Michigan at Ford Field. That game the day after Christmas, the 26th, and Pittsburgh is favored by 11. Now, I want to cheer for Eastern. You know, they're the local team. It's a short drive for them. Yet, I don't have any reason other than that to say Pittsburgh won't win and they won't cover the 11-point spread. The Military Bowl presented by Northrop Grumman. North Carolina versus Temple. That game, the 27th in Annapolis, and North Carolina's favored by six. That's a tough one for me, because Temple is one of the better group of five teams that I really do think they could pull off the upset. North Carolina, they've been really good at times. They went toe-to-toe with Clemson. They're inconsistent. This is a game where Carolina could very easily cover, and I would not be any more surprised if Temple pulled the upset off. I think I'm going to go with Mac Brown in this one. I'm going to trust Mac Brown when it comes to the postseason. I'll say that Carolina wins, but I'll compromise and not take the six-point spread. The New Era Pinstripe Bowl. Michigan State taking on Wake Forest from Yankee Stadium. The Spartans are favored by four. This is a Wake Forest team that's a lot better than people want to give them credit for. I know they finished slow after a strong start, but I don't see Sparty winning this game by four. Sparty may not even win this game. It's kind of a coin flip, but I think i got to go with the upset here. I think I do. I think i got to go Wake Forest in this one. The Academy Sports plus Outdoor Texas Bowl. Oklahoma State taking on Texas A&M from Energy Stadium in Houston. A&M is favored by five. I'm not going to take A&M. I'm not going to take the points anyway. Oklahoma State, they're a ranked team. They're 8-4. and four. Texas A&M has woefully disappointed. That being said, I do like the roster they have. I like Kellen Mond. Yeah, I'll take A&M tentatively, but not with the points. The San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. Iowa takes on USC. That game the 27th in San Diego. The line has Iowa as three-point favorites. Iowa's 9-3, and three, ranked 16th. USC is 22nd. They're 8-4. and four. That's another tough one for me, because I wouldn't be surprised if either team won it. USC is a better group than people want to give them credit for. They've got the win over Utah. They've got a good physical group of receivers. I think I'll take USC with the upset. I'll cheer for the Hawks, though. I'll cheer for the Hawks in this one. The Cheez-It Bowl, Washington State against Air Force. That game at Chase Field. I love football games played in baseball stadiums. That game on the 27th, Air Force favored by three. I love Mike Leach, and I love his air raid offense, so I'm going to go with the upset. I'm going to say that the Cougs will upset Air Force. The Camping World Bowl on the 28th from Orlando. Notre Dame takes on Iowa State. Notre Dame favored by four. I, for one, am a huge fan of this because I'm from Iowa. i got plenty of friends that went to Iowa State. I'll be in Iowa. I'll be back home for Christmas when this game transpires. So I'm sure I'll be surrounded by a lot of red and gold. I'm worried about this one as a Notre Dame fan because Iowa State is no pushover. They've got a really good quarterback in Brock Purdy. Charlie Kohler is a tight end whose name that most people don't know, but they probably should. Named all Big 12 at the tight end position. And Matt Campbell is a woefully underrated head coach. Matt Campbell just signed an extension with Iowa State, bringing that program back to relevancy. He said the only jobs that he would leave Iowa State for or Ohio State and Notre Dame. And I, for one, would love Matt Campbell to be the head coach at Notre Dame. 
You guys know how I feel about Brian Kelly. He's up there. He's above average. He's in that upper tier. But I don't know that Notre Dame's going to go any farther under him. Matt Campbell has done more with less than about any other coach in college football. What he's done, bringing Iowa State back to relevancy. He's got some big wins, too. He's won at Norman. He went toe-to-toe with Oklahoma this year. I would love to have Matt Campbell as a head coach at Notre Dame. So I'm kind of hoping Iowa State just blows him out. They fire Brian Kelly and then hire Matt Campbell in the spot, even though that won't happen. If I have to make a pick, though, I'll take Notre Dame with the points. The Pro First Responder Bowl, Western Kentucky against Western Michigan on December 30th. That game at Gerald Ford Stadium in Dallas. Western Kentucky favored by one. How about that? That's a toughie for me because, again, I want to go with the local team. I want to say Western can do it. I think I will take Kentucky, though. I'll take Western Kentucky, and I'll go with the points in this one since it's a one-point spread. The Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl, Louisville against Mississippi State, that game at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. Right now, there is no line for it. Vegas has not released a line for this game. You know, Mississippi State has woefully underperformed this year. Joe Moorhead still might be coaching for his job. If Mississippi State loses, they'll finish 6-7, and seven, and Joe Moorhead might be out of a job. Louisville has looked fairly good at times under Scott Satterfield, first-year head coach. I think things are trending in Louisville's direction. I think I'm going to go with the Cardinals. I don't know what the line is yet. Vegas hasn't released it, but I'll go with the cards in this one. I'll say by, I'll say by four is about where I'd set the line. The Red Box Bowl has Cal taking on Illinois at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Cal is favored by six. I think that's right. I'll go with the spread on that one. I've got a Cal jersey. got a friend on the team. So, yeah, I'll go with Cal to take the points. Maybe a little favoritism, a little bias in there, but let's do it. Credit Lovey Smith, though, and what he's done, bringing that Illinois program back to relevancy. The Belk Bowl, still trying to figure out what that is. We think it's a department store. We think it's a clothing line in North Carolina. The game is played in Charlotte. Kentucky takes on Virginia Tech on New Year's Eve. Again, Vegas hasn't come out with a line for this one, though. It's a Kentucky team that's taken a step backwards since last year. It is a Virginia Tech team that has been woefully inconsistent. That being said, I think there's more talent on Virginia Tech's roster. I'll go with them. I'll set the spread at three. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, Arizona State against Florida State from El Paso on New Year's Eve. Arizona State is favored by five. Florida State, I'm just shocked, got into a bowl. They know who their head coach is going forward. They're still riding the interim tag until then. And Herm Edwards is starting to build a program there. They've got that big win over Oregon. That kept them out of the college football playoff. I'll go with Arizona State in this one. I think five is the margin of victory is right. I'll take Arizona State as five-point favorites. The AutoZone Liberty Bowl has Navy going up against Kansas State. That game has K-State as one-point favorites. You know, Navy, I want to pick them. I do. K-State has been inconsistent at times this year. They do have the big win over Oklahoma. And if they're just one-point favorites, I'll take that. I'll take K-State as one-point favorites over Navy. The Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl, Georgia State against Wyoming on New Year's Eve. Wyoming is favored by seven. I'll take the under on that. Wyoming still might win, but I think Georgia State will give them a battle. How about the Valero Alamo Bowl? You've got Utah going up against Texas. That game in San Antonio, Utah favored by seven. I'm going to take the under on it. I don't know if I'm ready to take the upset, but 
I don't think Utah is going to beat Texas by seven. You just saw what happened when they played an actual good team. Before Friday night, Utah only played one team with more than seven wins, and they lost to their third-string quarterback. Then they got their doors blown off by Oregon. I don't think that they're going to beat Texas by a touchdown. Maybe they'll beat them, not by a touchdown. The Citrus Bowl, you've got Alabama taking on Michigan. That game is on New Year's from Orlando. It has Alabama as a seven-point favorite. I got to say, I think that's right. Depending how many Alabama players decide to sit out and not risk their draft stock, Alabama probably is going to be seven-point favorites over Michigan. The Outback Bowl has Auburn taking on Minnesota on New Year's Day. Auburn favored by eight. I will go with the under on. I think Minnesota will make it a game. I don't know if they pull the upset. The Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. You've got Cincinnati against Boston College from Legion Field. Cincinnati favored by seven. I'll take the over on it. Luke Fickle, still waiting for him to get the call somewhere. Be a head coach at the Power 5 level next year. BC just fired Steve Adazio. I'm shocked they even made a bowl game. I'll take Cincinnati as seven-point favorites. Kind of rushing through these because we're running out of time. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Indiana against Tennessee. That game on January 2nd. There is no line for it yet. I'm going to go with Indiana as four-point favorites. Tom Allen, those guys have impressed me. Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee has not. Granted, they bounced back from a terrible start with all kinds of quarterback controversy, and somehow made a bowl game. The famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Nevada takes on Ohio. That game has Ohio as seven-point favorites. I'll take the under on it. I think Ohio wins, but not by seven. The Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Southern Miss against Tulane. Tulane, six-point favorites. I think that I'll go with the under on it. I think the Fighting Farves will make it a close game, make it a good one. The Lending Tree Bowl, Louisiana against Miami, Ohio. Louisiana, 14-point favorites. I'll take the under on this. Chuck Martin in Miami, Ohio? MAC champions? Come on, give them a little love. Give the Maction some love. I'll go with the under. Louisiana's not winning that game by 14. Let's get into the New Year's Six Bowls and the college football playoff before we run out of time. Sugar Bowl, Georgia against Baylor. Georgia favored by 8 I'll take the points on that. Despite Georgia's struggles in the Sugar Bowl last year, I do think that they can beat Baylor by eight. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if Baylor makes it a good one. It really wouldn't. Baylor, what they did with Oklahoma, and a third-string quarterback to boot, that was impressive. Give them credit. The Rose Bowl, Oregon against Wisconsin. Oregon favored by three. Let's do it. Let's take the upset in this one. Let's say Wisconsin beats Oregon in the Rose Bowl. Jonathan Taylor is going to do his thing. He's going to end his career with a bang. But Jack Cohen has just not got to play conservative. When Jack Cohen plays not to lose, Wisconsin's really tough to beat. The third quarter on Saturday night, Jack Cohen started playing not to lose. And that's when Wisconsin struggles offensively. When Cohen plays conservatively, that's when Wisconsin struggles. I want to see Cone just ball out. Jonathan Taylor, Quentin Cephas, they'll do their thing. Cone just needs to stay out of his own way and just play loose. Nothing to lose here. You're playing the granddaddy of them all. The Orange Bowl has Florida taking on Virginia. Florida favored by 13. I'll take Florida with the points. Virginia, I'm just shocked that they're in a New Year's Six Bowl. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, Penn State against Memphis. Penn State favored by seven. I think that's right. I'll go with Shane Clifford, Penn State, and the points in the Cotton Bowl. 
Let's get into the college football playoffs. The Peach Bowl, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Number one LSU against number four Oklahoma. LSU favored by 13. No disrespect to Oklahoma. They are a good team, make no doubt. They still haven't totally convinced me that they belong in the playoffs. I know they're deserving, but can they hang with a team like LSU? I haven't seen anything that says they can or that LSU will allow them to. I think LSU will cover the 13-point spread. On the other side, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, number two Ohio State against number three Clemson. Clemson is favored by two. Give me the upset here. Give me the upset. I'm taking Ohio State to upset Clemson. I'm kind of surprised that is an upset. And then LSU-Ohio State in the national championship. I do believe those are the best two teams in football. I think LSU is probably going to be the favorite if they meet. I would say the line should be about six. That is over-under as we play throughout the college football season here in the sports pen. Going just a little over time, I apologize. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, and it's my hope that you join me. Until then, signing off from ESPN-UPWZ, I'm Ishbaming Marquette. I'm Tanner Hoops.